Okay, welcome everybody to a new episode of Mover Podcasts. Uh, today's guest has been free, has been featured frequently in recent times in multiple media outlets, and uh, this could be largely due to the high-profile corporate moves going on around the U.S. and large and a number of things. That's an, maybe my guess, but. Um, John Boyd of the Boyd Company is who we have today. And John, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. There's a lot of things uh, going on, but thank you for coming on the show today. Andrew, it's great to be on the show. And um, so thank you. Thank you, John. Um, I'd like to start at the beginning, if it's possible with you, uh, just to learn, learn a little bit about you. Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Well, my, my story begins in central New Jersey, in Mercer mm -hmm. County, mm -hmm. which really it was a great place and it still is a great place to grow up. It's sort of on the DMZ line, halfway between Philadelphia and New York, um, about an hour away from the Jersey Shore. So I spent summers on, on Long Beach Island and in Surf City. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, it was... Uh, it was really a really a great place to to grow up. I, I I go back periodically. I live in South Florida now mo most of the year. Oh, but, so you moved from? Is this a recent move to South Florida? No, I uh, I think I was ahead of the curve, uh, quite frankly. You know, the the big theme <laughs> is this massive migration of people out of New Jersey and New York into South Florida over the over the past uh, year or so during the pandemic. But I've been spending most of the time here over the past. A few years, uh, I, I a big part of my childhood was spent here. My parents always owned a home in Fort Lauderdale. I always knew that I wanted to live here. It really is a special place, and of course, I'm able to to live and work uh, remotely, which is terrific. Yeah. Our firm is very active in South Florida, as you as you might imagine as well. Yeah, so that's an interesting thing because I'm I will probably get into that, but I see a lot of uh, a lot of uh, groups moving to South Florida of recently, corporations, and we hear about them moving to other parts. But you did grow up in the New Jersey area. They call it Surf City. Is there surf out that way? Yeah, there, there, there's actually a great Jan and Dean song, Surf City. That, that's the Surf City in, in Southern California. But yes. New Jersey has its own uh, Surf City. It's really a, a special place. And, you know, the, the, those summer months in New Jersey, are really special. The summer is such a short season. Interesting. And that's sort of, a, sort of a, a common theme among expats, if you will, folks from Jersey. They always think about those months in July and August where you're, whether you're on the seaside boardwalk or the Point Pleasant boardwalk or yes. Long Beach Island or Margate. You now those are some really special towns. And you see a lot of people from New Jersey now making it along with yourself to South Florida and keeping that uh, memories of those areas and it reminds you of somewhat of the summer there in the spring months in Florida. I, I think much to the chagrin of, of native Floridians. You know, but, <laughs> and this, was, this has been a trend prior to, to COVID. I mean, just the loss of thousands of people each year, the loss of billions of dollars of taxable income from New York and New Jersey yep. and South Florida. Look, they, they've always called South Florida the sixth borough because oh, of all the driver's license. What's happening now is you're, you're getting an influx of capital from California. You're getting tech companies now from the Bay Area that are 
looking beyond Austin or Phoenix hmm. and, and considering, uh, you know, and, and setting up shop in South Florida. Well, Despite all that, still yet to find good pizza or a good bagel. Uh, yes, yes. No, that's, that's very important there. Uh, did you go to college? And uh, uh, that, that'd be interesting to know you just a little bit of how going into how you're getting into what you're doing. So in college, I, I studied political science. Mm-hmm. I went to the College of New Jersey. It's a small school in Ewing. It's in Mercer County. It's about 7,000 students. Mm-hmm. And they had a especially strong uh, political science program. They, they, they still do. After college, I worked for a congressman briefly. And I always knew that I, I joined the firm. Again, my, you know, my dad started our business back in 1975. Boy, that's that's so been in business I, for a long time. So you worked for a congressman getting out of college. What prompted you to do that? What was the interest? That was the political science background of what you were studying? I, I always loved political science. My, my two major joys as a kid, uh, or at least the ones that I can speak about publicly, you know, or I yeah. would say uh, the Yankees, uh, you know, I love baseball yep. and, and politics. I used to uh, listen to the Bob Grant show in 77 WABC. Oh, wow. and you know, politics is a big part of the world of corporate site selection policy directly impacts where a company spend capital and, and create jobs. Yes. Right. And, then, and that, so, and the corporate site back in 1975, when your dad had started, had started the business, was it focused? It was focused on corporate site selection back then, or was it doing something different? No, you know we've we've always been a corporate site selection firm. Ninety percent of our work is in the corporate sector, advising major corporations where to locate their facilities throughout North America. Some of our major clients include Boeing, J.P. Morgan Chase, mm-hmm. Pratt and Whitney, uh, TD Bank, Royal Caribbean Cruises, UPS, mm-hmm. uh, and. and Another part of our business is advising developers on where to do new projects. Okay. And also assisted a number of, of cities and states over the years on their industry attraction programs. But you know, the, the development part of our business is interesting. We've helped a number of really interesting developers over the years, like the Howard Hughes Corporation, the Investment Properties Division of the Mormon Church is a client of ours. They're actually the largest land ho- landholder in the state of Florida, which a lot of people find interesting. Yeah, this is the Mormon church largest landholder. That is very interesting. It's also Howard Hughes is a very popular name, uh, particularly for those on the West Coast. Uh, that name rings a lot with the development of many things coming out of the Los Angeles area. Right. Did, did your dad or your grandfather ever get to meet Howard Hughes or deal with him? No, that was a little bit before my, my dad's time, but again, Vegas is a big part of our, of our firm's history. Uh, the Howard work, Hughes work we did was with Summerlin, which at the time was the nation's largest planned community. Okay. And popular landing spot, obviously, for firms leaving California. And we actually have owned homes there over the years. I, I love Summerlin. Yep. And, you know, talk about how I got into this business. I, my dad would always include me on business trips. As a as kid. A, I, I learned far more with him, with, with our business than I ever did in school. I mean, just how old were you when you'd go on these business trips? 
a youngster. I mean, my first memory is five, six years old. I, oh my I, remember, goodness. I remember meeting Sammy Davis Jr. At the huh. time I was doing work for Howard Hughes and doing work for the Nevada Development Authority. That, that's now called the Las Vegas Global Alliance. But that was their industry attraction uh, of company. And, you know, we did work there and I got to meet Sammy Davis Jr. after a show at the old Desert Inn. So wow, these, that would have been something. Yeah, it just sort of sort of uh, got into my DNA, I guess. This, yeah. Uh, you know. How was Sammy? He was a pro. I mean, they always, they always say that he was the most talented of all of the members of the Rat Pack. I mean, he could sing, he could dance, <laughs> he could play every instrument. And I think he really, we can all learn from Sammy Davis Jr. because he was a pro. Yep. You know, he understood the business and he was always prepared. Yeah, that's that's a very key thing for any business. Um, so this young age, you would have been, it would have been something to go on the road with your old man, meeting legends of of that time and still today, legends of today. Uh, definitely, that I could see how that would prompt you to be more and more interested. Yet you started in political science because did you see a connection with political science and what was going on there? Or what was the real interest in getting into that? You were just interested in politics in general? Yes. And, and I mean, this was, you know, in, in the early 2000s, and we had a much less divisive political culture. Yes. I mean, the idea of working in politics now, I, I would but I was doing things like constituent services and, you know, back in, in, in the early 2000s, I mean, there was the, the idea of the Rockefeller Republican. There was, you know, pro-business, you know, but more moderate on, on social issues. Yes, yes, yes. Environment than, than we have today. Yeah. I will say, look, I mean, politics is a major part. Policy is a major part of corporate location decisions. Yep. And, you know, we analyze policy very closely on behalf of our site-seeking clients. So that's really interesting. And what you guys are doing is very interesting. I'm going to get into this a little bit here on, so we've talked about what you sort of your, your prior background and going to where you are. And now you're, in, you're coming from New Jersey into Florida, but how your, your background, your company is different to a commercial real estate brokerage company. Uh, as I understand things, it's rather unique. Can you give us a little background there? I, I come from a, a commercial real estate background and you have commercial real estate brokers that represent corporations in choosing where they want to create new homes. How is it is that the Boyd company are a fair bit different? Can you give a little background on that and how you guys work with businesses? Yes, and, and that, that's what distinguishes us from a lot of the large commercial real estate firms. We're a fee-based consultancy right. and our, our site selection recommendations are not tied to any type of vested interest or a downstream uh, commission interest. Mm -hmm. you know, so, so companies can, can trust our judgments, our benchmark reports as part of their overall calcu calculations and site selection decisions. That said, we work very closely with you know, the largest commercial real estate brokers. They serve a very important role and all of this. Right. And, I, and I will say this, people ask me all the time, how has the site selection business changed over the past five decades? Mm -hmm. One of the major changes is that more projects are being done in-house. So the role of the consultant 
is much different today than it was even just a decade or so ago. And the, when you the, say the site selection is being done in house, you're saying the the site selection is being done in house by the corporation as opposed to the real estate brokerage company. It, it, it's the the brokerage is playing a larger role, and, and the reason why oh, is gotcha. because you know there's so much information available at, at the fingertips of smart executives. Right. And there's these companies have caseloads and, and experiences of handling successful site selection projects. So the role of the consultant today very often is to be part of a team effort to provide a, a quantitative analysis, you know, measuring business costs, measuring taxes, you know, creating an analytical document that makes sense uh, or, you know, that make, that'll make a case for a Phoenix versus a Salt Lake city, for example, for a specific project. Mm, and then, and then doing under the radar screen field work where we'll you know, do labor market investigations, of course, protecting the anonymity of the client, and those are all part of the, the services that we provide. That's, yeah, that's very interesting. So that's a good question as to, did the Boyd company, did it begin in 1975? Is that when it began or is that was when you first remember your no, dad? My, my, my dad at the time, my, my dad started the firm in 1975. Okay. He, he, he was with Dun & Bradstreet in New York okay. and decided to, to go out on his own and then the rest is history. Yeah, and the rest is history for sure. And now, uh, but your dad is still involved in the business, correct? He sure is. I just got off the phone with him right, right before. <laughs> so how do you find it working with your dad? How does that work? How does what you pro both provide different strengths and you different things that you like to do? How do you break up tasks and how does that work? It's a lot easier with me being in Florida and him being back in Princeton, quite frankly. No, no, <laughs> right. I, I really am the most fortunate person. We have a great relationship. Um, I'm grateful, quite frankly, that that we get along as well as we do. Um, you know, we, we, we argue about uh, sports more than we do business. Oh, you have different sporting teams then? I just just did. You know, we, he's a big sports, big sports guy and, and so am I. But... Yeah. We, 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 we make a pretty good team. Yeah, that's, it's a fabulous thing that you guys can work together and enjoy the work together. Um, are you, you would mean mainly be the media face? Is that how you would, you would say it? And your dad is doing different, how would you sort of describe the things that you guys do differently that complements you guys working together so well in the business? Well, you know, I, I think you know, my, my dad really is one of the the pioneers of this niche industry, this corporate site selection industry. Right. Our firm started is really the oldest firm doing what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had a chance just to learn from him over the years, and you know, we we do have different areas of, of focus. I do a lot of media work. Yep. That no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, the when you talk about the anal and analytics and there's a lot of uh, analysis going on in so many different locations that uh, businesses are choosing to relocate to. Uh, I'm going to guess just randomly some of the areas that might stand out of being say Cal the state of California and maybe the San Francisco Silicon Valley area and moving a lot of a lot of press of recent 
certainly has been about moves of Silicon Valley companies out to Austin, Texas. Um, you have, uh, have you uh, had any background or do you have any uh, insight into these moves? Yes, we, we've been very active in central Texas over the years and particularly the Austin market. Dell and HP are both clients of ours. Okay. Both client of ours. And Texas really has a, a winning recipe for business attraction. Mm -hmm. Low taxes, a pro-business regulatory environment, and I think most importantly, a real pro-business cohesive economic development leadership. You have a, uh, several governors in a row that just understand and personalize the art of economic development. And you have a real uh, hospitable attitude towards business very much unlike what we see in California. Yeah, we hear that a lot. This is very interesting. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, there's a fair bit of animosity amongst people sometimes with businesses moving out there, um, feeling like they milk the system in California and in order to, before making it out that way. Um, what's their feeling like by people in Texas? Are they welcoming of these companies coming in there? Yes, and, and you know, our, our clients frequently tell us, our California-based clients frequently tell us that Sacramento lawmakers treat them almost as an antagonist. Oh. Right? We, you know, we saw that one legislator a few months ago tell Elon Musk to go F himself. No kidding. And this is, you know, Musk being one of, you know, one of the largest private employers in the state of California. Uh, you know, and again, you're, you're beginning to see, I think what happened in the Georgia runoff is an interesting indicator this idea will red states that are recipients of this in-migration will they turn into blue states mm. i think you're, you're starting to, to sense and see some anti-growth pushback particularly in the austin market incentives are becoming especially contentious right uh, we'll see how that plays out i think ultimately people need to remember why they left california yes and and, and and not uh, try and import those failed anti-business policies. That's, that's a very interesting point there. You said, you mentioned Dell and HP as being clients that you have represented. Um, Dell, I believe, didn't they begin in Austin, Texas? Yes, yeah, Round Rock. Right, okay. And HP, they are in Texas. I'm not sure where, are they in Austin or are they somewhere else? Houston. Houston, that's right. Okay. And um, do, you, do you know anything about, I guess you mentioned Elon Musk's uh, uh, converse, the conversation was had with him. Uh, do you know what prompted them with uh, Austin, Texas, as opposed to somewhere else in Texas? Is there something that's prompting the move out to Austin? Specifically? The, the, the Gigafactory location in Travis County, that's a particularly attractive piece of real estate. Okay. Uh, they like this site and, and they went with it. But again, the labor market is there with the type of skill sets that Tesla requires. The Austin market is really regarded as a, as a premier skill set. I think being in a, in a mid-continent location is consistent with Tesla's growth strategy. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and if you look at the types of models that Tesla is, is developing, and of course the truck, which will be a big part of their, their, their sales moving forward. Yes. Tax sense. 
That's very interesting with, with Tesla. But then the other business that's moved out to Austin is Oracle. Now, do you know do anything what would prompt them? Is that just that Musk and um, Larry Ellison are mates or what would, what would prompt that one? You know, I, I, again, the, the overall positive business climate yep. and, and, and these, the IT skill sets in, in that market. It, it, the region's growing astronomically and it's importing skill sets. The rise of the remote workforce has yes. really been a friend to, to central Texas. You have tech workers fleeing the, the Bay Area in record droves. Many of them employ the services of MUVA. Uh, and, and yeah. you know, we, we, we see this trend accelerating in the months ahead. Yeah, I think it might accelerate for years to come even when the virus, after the virus is released. Do you have a, a viewpoint on that? That's at least my viewpoint. I agree. It, remote working was a trend prior to COVID. Roughly 5% of the workforce worked remotely. Clearly COVID has accelerated that trend. The cost savings for companies are enormous when they yes. can reduce class A office-based commitments. Yeah. There's HR and recruiting advantages of this model. Every survey shows that workers at least want the option to work remotely on a hybrid basis. We're not projecting the, the end of the, the office by any stretch of the imagination, but we think it'll be more of a hybrid model. And that means cost savings for companies. It means more flexibility with recruiting. It's really a win-win. And yeah. the, other big, the other big takeaway in, for the commercial real estate industry, projects are getting smaller and there's a, a need for more mixed use developments. Oh, this and is, those are some very interesting things you're bringing up there. I have to just touch on two things briefly. This hybrid model has been talked about by a number of media outlets actually of the hybrid model. And if we could just get a little bit more on how you view that. So we're thinking that the office will still exist, but it will be a worker coming in maybe two days a week in the office instead of the old school five days? Is that how you would view it? Or how do you view some of the ways this hybrid model might, might uh, function in the future? I think we're seeing, you know, offices decentralized and the office is, becomes almost like a space station. Ah, interesting. Reporting periodically. And you have critical corporate space used for training activities, different types of team building events, obviously meetings that, that will need to happen in, in person will happen in the office. Yeah, that's, uh, that whether, is. Yeah, whether it's two days a week, whether it's three days a week, whether there's company specific programs that in, emphasize and encourage and incentivize being in the office more or less, that'll be company specific. Yep. And when you're talking about that's very, that's really, that, that gives a thank you. This gives us a, this helps give us, a, I think myself and our, uh, our listeners, a very good understanding. You, we get snit tidbits in the news media, but it's really great to have someone who's on the front line to give us some real accurate information about what is happening out, out there and what's motivating uh, businesses and what's motivating these decisions. One other thing you just mentioned there was the commercial real estate industry having these, I think you said small mixed use projects. When you say mixed use, is that 
uh, a mixture of office and uh, a residential component or what what are you how are you viewing that so the a common denominator among successful suburban markets attracting these types of corporate projects is a presence of a mixed-use development where you have you know this idea of live work and play yep okay you want a community that offers the types of lifestyle amenities that a tech worker in san jose or san francisco finds desirable but in a lower cost lower tax setting oh uh, yes gotcha uh, in in central texas or or uh the uh, you know uh, the Phoenix uh, region, for example. Okay, so yes. looking at at a need for new mixed use developments, you know the Woodlands, for example, is a very successful project in Texas. The Legacy project in, in the uh, in the in the Dallas Metroplex area has been a big part of their winning economic development formula in, in recent months. That's and you know projects are getting smaller. Thirty years ago, the average square foot per worker was approaching 200 square feet. Mm -hmm. Now it's closer to 90 square feet per worker. So, oh my goodness, under half. Right, and, and, and this is creating new opportunities for developers to do new re repurposing projects. You think about the millions of square feet of vacant retail or soon to be vacant retail. No, Much, yes. Some of the most valuable commercial real estate in America. This is now primed for repurposing. The idea of repositioning this for a, a retailer is just ridiculous now. I mean, look at the state of e-commerce. So our clients are increasingly looking at opportunities to repurpose this into you know, new mixed use and, and class A office space. So the, and I'm gonna go into one thing we talk about a fair bit. We've talked about tech, some of these companies and these highest profile moves have been what we would classify as tech companies is that is the change in this office use, in this mixed use, that's going to have these lifestyle amenities? Are there going to be specific uh, features that are going to be specifically encouraging for tech workers? High, yeah. Especially high-speed internet, something that's really oh, yes. you. That's that's it. I love that you mentioned the high-speed internet. I mean, with with this Zoom culture today, yes. you know, we're seeing a lot of investments in, in home office equipment, video teleconferencing equipment. That's the new status symbol among executives is you know, who has the best home studio <laughs> to do Zoom presentations and media yeah. presentations. But in terms of what types of lifestyle amenities, you know, uh, bike trails are very yeah. popular. Open spaces are really in vogue among developers, oh, especially okay. the, the, the pandemic. Yep. That would even make it even more centralized. So that's that's a really interesting perspective. And then the perspective of the retail. What do you? How do you view the retail side of it? There's still got to be. You still want to be, in order to have this lifestyle amenities. You'd think there would be places for these people to be able to still eat and all those sort of things. So the restaurants won't exactly go away, will they? No, you know retail. Clearly, is facing significant challenges because of the the rise of e-commerce, because of the the COVID lockdown restrictions. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of the retail I think will be repurposed into last mile distribution centers, last okay. types of recreation activities. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a need for retail and restaurants, of course. We, you know, lifestyle amenities uh, include shopping and restaurants and bars, all of the big popular 
mixed use facilities have some element of that. And you, you talk about, you know, restaurants, a, a big theme we're seeing now are, are ghost kitchens. I'm not sure if this is something that's been ghost on the radar. Ghost kitchens. No, I've never even heard of such a term. Very popular in South Florida. It's really an industry born from the pandemic. And you're seeing celebrity chefs with a, a name brand do, you know, ser- uh, delivery only kitchens. Huh. Right. So, so they reduce their utility costs, they reduce their labor costs, they reduce their insurance, they reduce their, their, uh, their overall operating cost expenses. And it, it, it's takeout only and they incorporate social media platforms where you can, you know, uh, participate in your meal being prepared and you can order online. Oh my it, goodness. You know, foodies love this concept and a lot of the Instagram influencers are, are really getting behind it. How interesting. So you'll have new, you're having probably new businesses pop up to service this ghost kitchen. And that's the American story, isn't it? I mean, yeah. we, we always find a way to create new industries. And, and despite this challenging COVID times, this has been a time of remarkable innovation. You think about yes. how fast forward a vaccine, how we're distributing it to millions of people, of course, not as smoothly as we'd all like to see. Yeah. Time of just incredible innovation, people working from home and new technologies being created. It, it, it really is an ex- exciting time that I think will give birth to a lot of new entrepreneurial activity in, in the months and years ahead. Yes, I well, I absolutely agree with that. I see a lot of our business was uh, at Mover has definitely seen the impact of that, but we weren't a function of the, we didn't begin as a function of the pandemic, but um, it definitely brought more attention uh, for our business. There's no doubt about that. Um, It's quite remarkable what we've learned in the process of all this. And I can see other businesses utilizing remote and different ways to create convenience, I think, isn't it? And it's a key overall theme of convenience when you talk about lifestyle amenities, ghost kitchens, convenience, convenience. I keep thinking uh, convenience is, is popping up here amongst everything else. Of course, there's where people want safety, people want this and people want that, but convenience, um, is coming to my mind as a common theme here. Do you see that? Right. We're a, a nation that, that wants convenience. You know, we're, we're, we want instant gratification. We want to be able to click and, and get our goods and services delivered immediately. And, and, and we're, we're also an economy that, you know, needs to always look and create efficiencies. Mm. And corporations are, are cutting costs by reducing a lot of redundant and, and, wa- and waste cost structures. Yes. And, and I'd, li- I'd like to see the public sector sort of fast forward into the modern era and, and begin using technology more and, and to be more. Oh, yeah. They're going to, they're slow to adapt. I think they will be forced into it slowly and surely, but they are slow to adapt. I know that about that. They are slow to adapt. Um, do, you, uh, do you ever assist cities in planning? Uh, as it relates to encouraging businesses, do you do get requests from cities to say, John, um, we would like your feedback on what would help us encourage some of these large businesses or rapidly growing businesses to uh, come to our location and bring uh, highly skilled work in, in 
workforce to our location and help make uh, um, our city a more uh, desirable location? Do you get that request or is that, do you just deal with these as the businesses request such? We, we do. And again, 90% of our work is in the corporate sector, advising companies where to locate and yeah. providing counsel to developers where to do projects. But each year we do a, a, a one or two projects for a city or, or for a state. And, and we've had an interesting mix of cities that we've counseled over the years. Uh, Las Vegas, we've been especially active in the Las, mm. in the Las Vegas market over the years. Uh, we've done a lot of work in Phoenix over the years. We've provided counsel to Nashville and Memphis. Well, there's a, those and, and, are we've quite been very a variety. Active, very active in Canada, too, oh, over the over the, uh, in out of the country as well. Right, uh, Montreal is a market that we have a lot of history. And my dad actually, you mentioned how my my dad began our firm. Yeah. Our first projects were in Montreal, of course, before I was born. His first projects were in Montreal when oh. Bill One Hundred One passed. Very controversial bill that mandated oh. French as the official language. And it, it created a, a sea change of corporate out-migration, particularly in the banking industry, from mm. Montreal to Toronto. Wow, that's, that is something. Do you see some commonalities between what's going on with these cities? When you talk to Montreal, <laughs> is there a commonality with Las Vegas? And some, some co are there some commonalities with these Vegas and Phoenix and Nashville and Montreal? It, or are they all very different? It, I think a, a common denominator is, again, quantifying strategic advantages and, and communicating those advantages to the right people, the right corporate audience. Yes. And I think we have a, a way that we're able to, 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 to do that. You, you hit on something interesting, though, the idea of, of Montreal and that sea change of, of companies you know, leaving Montreal for, for Toronto. What, 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 ha what really happened with Bill 101 was anti-business social policy. Oh, there is something I wouldn't have known. And that is something that we've seen in recent years. So whether that be the, the bathroom bill in North Carolina several years ago, which led mm -hmm. the NCAA to, 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 to leave and other projects not go to North Carolina. And, and some other states have dealt with legislation similar to that. Um, so yeah, and of course, Montreal is doing very well right now. They have a, 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 a lot of advantages, so the favorable exchange rate, it's immigration policy, which is pro-business. It, uh, it, Montreal is really a leader in artificial intelligence. But uh, you know, years ago, that was a real challenge for them. And, 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 and the business of site selection, that Bill 101 is really regarded really as one of the first major examples of anti-business social legislation. Huh, how interesting. And it, it, it created the birth of other cities becoming better. That's true. That, 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 that certainly is, is true. Mm. Uh, it's, 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 it's really fascinating. Uh, are you seeing US companies make it to Canada now? We are. Uh, in recent months, you have Morgan Stanley and State Street mm. move uh, operations to Montreal. Again, they have a real unique strength in artificial intelligence and cognitive robotics. Wow. Much of that with the University of Montreal, which really is the nation's, or which is Canada's, one of the premier AI 
universities in the world. And, you know, companies like Facebook and Microsoft and Google have major AI operations in, in Montreal. And other, other markets too, the, you know, the, the province of New Brunswick continues to be an attractive place for data center operations. Hmm. And you know, we see a number of new opportunities, particularly in the banking and financial services industry in the months ahead. We, we see Canada really emerging as a premier nearshore alternative, especially with talk of new regulations and new tax increases. So Canada will be a definite competitor. What about Florida? Is that a competitor for South Florida? Are they putting their hand up as a competitor as well? Right, you know, Wall Street South. How many times have we heard that moniker now? <laughs> you know, yeah, Elliot uh, coming down here, Carl Icahn, uh, Blackstone, and of course Goldman is reportedly looking to move their asset management division to South Florida. All of that's great. It's an endorsement not only on Florida's business climate, but on the skill sets that exist here. And, and the idea that Florida really is uniquely connected to the global marketplace. Uh, uh, companies that want to grow their operations in Latin America have always viewed South Florida as a very logical place, but Florida has also been a major recipient of investment and, and intellectual capital from Asia and from Europe. Oh, I wouldn't have known the Asia side. That's an interesting uh, that's an interesting note. Yeah, that is very interesting. So they've been a, that's a, a great background. There's been a ton of changes we just mentioned, uh, with, with, with all this stuff. Are there anything that one, would there be some key, uh, commercial use key significant changes you've seen with commercial relocation over the past 12 months? The um, big, yeah, the, the big change, okay, the, the, of the moment, okay, or a change of attitude, it's really a, a people-first mentality that's driving corporate location decisions today. Oh, so there you go. Site-seeking companies need to pay attention to traditional business climate factors like the cost of doing business and taxes and regulations, transportation assets, and the talent in, in, in a specific market. But ultimately, now more than ever, it, it really becomes a question can I hire the best people in this location? Can I retain the best people in this location? Because that's, ultimately, companies yeah. are only their people. Yeah, that's and, so true. And one other thought about that. This, this trend of the remote workforce coincides with another big trend and, and change of philosophy in corporate culture, and that's the, the decline of employee loyalty. So oh, yes. not only are companies more mobile than ever, but employees are more mobile than ever. Yeah. And so employees are more mobile than ever being, we could be, instead of being 20 years at one company, it might be standard to be one year at the company. Yes, that's correct. We, we, some of the most industrious, highly, highly uh, you know, motivated and attractive workers are, are the most mobile. Yeah, very interesting. And that would also have a, there's a, there's got to be a push a bit for where the headquarters that is going to affect where these people, where the groups of these companies migrate to will affect the desirability to be in that city. 
So you might go there for a job, but if you knew four other companies that you would consider working for are also in that region, that makes it more attractive again, as a place to consider relocating to. Absolutely. And that's one of the big challenges that some of the smaller markets that want to join this growth pattern and, yes. and get projects, you know, the, the big challenge is that there's, there's not an, an existing cluster of companies in, in that particular industry, because you're right, the, the, the fleeing tech worker from San Jose or San Francisco would like to not only reduce their operating costs, uh, their, 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 their cost of living expenses and taxes, you know, but they'd also like to be in a market that provides other types of, of opportunities and not have to oh, necessarily nice. do a, a move or relocation every, every couple of years. Yeah, you know, that's, it's too much. It's too, too much. It's a stressful thing to be doing. Uh, that, John, this has been such a fabulous podcast. I've got one last question, if we can. <laughs> I don't want to take too, too much time, but I'd love to know one important tip you might have for business owners considering a new home for their business. Is there one important tip that you could think of that would stand out for that you would say to the business owner? I think that the most important thing is to remember your company is only as good as your people Duh. and be cognizant that your workers are inundated with temptations to leave your company and look for a better offer. Not only are companies more mobile than ever, employees are more mobile than ever today. So, you know, be in locations that are desirable to attracting and retaining the best talent. And also, I mean, don't be afraid to make your presence felt. I mean, the, you know, have a relationship with lawmakers and be an active, active participant in creating policy that's conducive to pro-business policies, whether it be tax policy in your community, zoning policy in your community uh, that allows for new mixed-use developments where your employees would, would want to live. So that would mean when you're getting, getting involved with city managers and governors, the, as many uh, city officials as possible to make sure that they're going to provide the climate that is conducive to making your employees happy and excited to be working and living where they are. Yes, that, that's a, a very important part of the site selection process that executives need to, to really take seriously. Spending time with the governor, with the mayor, and, and just getting a sense, is, is this someone I wanna be a partner with? Oh, uh, uh, yes. To build a vibrant, strong community and, and vibrant economy. Now, I might just say, it might be a word of advice for some of the governors and mayors out there to start to <laughs> take it seriously to spend some time with the businesses as well. Yes. And you know, the most successful cities and states are ones that have a, a proactive salesman in chief. Okay. That actively courts new business that does prospecting visits with CEOs and other influential business leaders and, and, and provides platforms for companies to make a positive social impact. Right, we mentioned, talked earlier about, you know, incentives becoming, you know, more contentious of an issue in, in site selection. A, a way to mitigate that is for a company to invest in a way that, you know, promotes positive social impact and, and positive social change. And, and that's an area where a Democrat or a Republican lawmaker can, can do good and, and create an economic development opportunity. 
Uh, that's uh, that's some fab, John. Oh, there's so much, to, and we'd love to. This has been so informative. Giving this, these are the sort of things you get snippets of only, but to get it from you uh, about all these things, having been on the front line, involved with these high-profile businesses, but also just getting down to the the employees and the people and the decision makers themselves to learn about the process and, and the importance of this. And it is critical today. It's been really a pleasure having you on our show. So I would like to thank you. Uh, make sure for our, uh, for our viewers, please uh, make sure to view, take, view us on Instagram as well. We want to make sure that people uh, are looking at us. It's the mover find us on Instagram, the Boyd company, you should be finding them on Instagram. Um, the website, John, is there somewhere we should refer people to be viewing more information about your company besides uh, just what I've said here? You can go to our, our, our website, theboydcompany.com, but also Twitter, we're, we're active on Twitter. Our Twitter handle, appropriately enough, the Boyd company, if you go to our homepage, there's a link to our Twitter site. And, and also uh, you can, uh, bizcost.com is our e-commerce division and we're introducing a new platform of real-time operating cost information that the development and sightseeing community I think will find especially timely uh, right now. Uh, John, that is fabulous. This is a great bit of feedback uh, to give us all that uh, information, a great uh, informative discussion with you. Until then, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, John Boyd. And everybody, please keep moving.